right. Hey, it's Ainsley. I'm Brayden. I'm Jenna. This is Sonia. And we are the Terry Foxy Ladies. Hell yeah. <laughs> and Sean, the producer, just had to step out. He has... A rash, a terrible rash. And diarrhea. (laughs) That was true. Um, So, after all that chaos, how's everyone's week been? Busy. Um, Very fucking cold. It's been like, tonight, it's like minus 20-something. Yesterday, it was almost minus 30. Oh, yeah, it sounds pretty cold up there, eh, Ainsley? I was actually going to ask you, like, how the weather was to piss you off. I'm surprised that you volunteered that information. She was getting ahead of it. (laughs) I thought it was the right thing to do. (laughs) It was. I'm so surprised. Um, Today was the first cold day here. And I've been been committed this year to saving money, so I've been taking the bus. And it's been a horrible pain in the ass. Wow. But I feel like I'm really a part of the city now. Whereas before, I was just like in my house almost 24-7 with no reason to leave. Sonia, how's school? Back um, at it. I'm, I'm strangely like in a state of calm. I have a lot going on, but for some reason I'm feeling okay about it right now. Maybe that's just denial. I don't know. That's what I'm feeling too. I'm like okay with school right now for this first week, but I'm like, I did all my stuff and that's odd. <laughs> I guess that's what it is. I like know what I need to do and I know I'm going to do it. So there's nothing really to be stressed out about. Well, I had a wonderful, productive fulfilling week too <laughs> Why is that, Jenna? <laughs> i mean i don't know if you sense it in my voice but it was the opposite i'm just feeling very um useless but oh, this too shall pass that Ew. is what they say <laughs> jenna on a scale of uh, one to totally disabled how disabled are you feeling this week oh wow totally disabled wow that's very disabled yeah I guess for those who don't know. <laughs> no. not, Jenna doesn't actually have a real disability. No, I don't. I'm not totally disabled, but apparently <laughs> mentally I am. Um, I've been on medical leave. For like, <laughs> I've been, <laughs> I'm on medical leave. It was my five weeks this week. And then I went for a reassessment and then... I, you know, it it wasn't a, it was a joke at first, and then I realized that I was uh, incapacitated by my thoughts and mind. I'm just smiling widely. <laughs> yeah, you talk about on the mend and on disability payments. You had to do a lot of tests and stuff. Yeah, I, I've taken a lot of initiative, which I was really surprised with because usually I don't do things like that. So I went through like the employee assistance program and did career counseling. I took many many tests to see what my aptitudes were, what values I held dear, and um, it really made me more confused, but <laughs> that's okay. All um, right, I anyway. think it's time for today's Double Double. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we're going to read two of the hottest uh, Canadian trending tweets. Now the top, the top one, I'm sure you all saw this coming, hashtag Ukrainian plane crash. Oof. Yeah, not a good one today, folks. (laughs) Bummer, right? Yeah, no, it's actually very sad, though. A couple students from my school, I guess, uh, were on that plane, which is very shocking to me. I guess because it was all students, like Iranian-Canadian students that were going home for the holidays and returning. So it's a lot of different students from a lot of different universities across Canada. A couple hours ago, actually, Trudeau uh, held a press conference 
and he said that they, they can't like 100% confirm, but they have uh, received from multiple intelligence sources that it was indeed uh, a surface-to-air missile strike, but they don't know whether or not it was an accident or not. They're thinking it was an accident, yeah. though, right? Yeah. Well, there is a video now of the missile hitting the plane. And on top of that, the Iranian government is refusing to release the information from the black box for the plane. And they found it like the day that it crashed. So that's looking pretty problematic. Sketchy. Um, yeah, I was yeah. reading a little bit about it, but apparently Canada is like a sought after partner for investigating plane crashes. So apparently we're like uh, a valuable asset to have on your team if you want to, you know, find out what went down. So yeah. I don't know if that'll uh, get oh, them I to. Have... Sorry. Yeah, no, please. Um, I, while you were saying that, I'm like looking at a news article. I have a quote from Trudeau on that topic. He said, Canadian expertise when it comes to air tragedies, expertise when it comes to crash investigations is world class. We have much to contribute and we have lost much in the loss of so many Canadian lives, so many families across this country grieving. Do you have thoughts on whether it was uh, accidental or not? I think it was accidental just because... They probably thought it was um, the U.S. retaliating quickly, like right after they struck at the, what are they called? Oh, my God. The base? Yeah, the two bases. But it's also like, why would they think the U.S. military would be striking them at an airport with a bunch of, like, Canadian citizens? I mean, maybe they didn't know that there were a lot of Canadian citizens there, even on the plane. They might have just thought they were going to kill a lot of Americans. I heard an interview today on the CBC with somebody, I can't remember who it was. They were essentially saying that like these sort of tragedies are something that have happened throughout history at the beginning of like wars and stuff and at the beginning of conflicts between countries that involve like military and obviously like missiles and shit like that. Like, unfortunately, it is kind of a side effect of like feuding countries, just like major loss of life in random tragedies. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. So so. Casualties. Yeah. Terrible. On um, uh, a much lighter note, people kept reposting this story when Trudeau did his address on it earlier this afternoon. So Trudeau got a new beard, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and people kept posting this story and I was like purposely not paying attention to the news. And I thought people were just like, a lot of people were very invested in his beard. <laughs> and he's, I have a photo in front of in front of me. For oh now. my God, he looks a little bit evil. Honestly, I think he looks a lot he hotter does look with a little the beard. Evil. I think, do you think he wants to be I taken? I think he might look hotter too. I'm I don't sure find Trudeau hot. I'm not on that bandwagon, but like I get it now with the beard. I'm shocked. Like I don't, I don't think. I'm, I'm sure once I get used to it, I will not be able to believe that he ever didn't have a beard. <laughs> but currently, I keep flipping back and forth with it. Like I look at it and I'm like, oh, not bad. And then I look closely at it and I'm like, that's a little Joe Dirt esque. But I don't know how to feel. There's what do you think he was speckles? thinking when he decided to grow it out? Did you do you think he was just thinking it's time? Well, I think he has, like, a... The he's reason I don't really find him very, like, attractive is because he has, like, a pretty boy face, and then that this eliminates that problem for me. Yeah. And I'm officially on Team Trudeau <laughs> in <laughs> that, that regard. Not anything to do with his politics. Well, guess what? You're not going to believe who's trending today. You're not going to fucking believe oh who's trending. Oh, my God. Anya. Who? Sorry, I'm just letting Ainsley fester. It's our boy, Terry Fox. What? No. <laughs> no. Oh, shit. Are 
Are you serious? Our man. Yeah, so I'm like, what the fuck? Is it his, like, you know, anniversary or whatever of running around the country? So the reason it why. Guys, it's fate. <laughs> I think it, this is a sign. Yes. Um, but uh, the reason why is because they're thinking of redesigning or they're going to redesign the new $5 bill and they're seeking input on who should be on it. You know how they did Viola Davis for the $10? So I guess yeah. uh, people are repping Terry Fox. They're trying to get his name in on the, the new $5 bill. I think in terms of promoting our podcast, Terry Fox <laughs> being on the bill is going to be good. Yeah, we should back this. And we're just going to backpack on that hashtag. So selfishly i'll uh i'll support that um well here's here's what happy camper has to say many are suggesting to use terry fox a very good idea for several reasons you guys ready for these he is non-political he was an inspiration very well known by many canadians he is no longer living living people shouldn't be on money just my two cents Mm. that's what he said yeah the first three you could characterize our podcast until the non-living thing that's a those are some good reasons those are we can steal those reasons as why we chose our podcast name. <laughs> yeah, we to, I'm going to bookmark that. Yeah, alive people shouldn't be in podcast names. I still don't get why Terry Fox is like, you know. They just said that for those reasons. Deal. No, no, no. I think it's fine if he's on the $5 bill. Who's on the $5 bill right now? Hockey players? <laughs> or was that the old one? No, that was, um, I see, I'm looking at like a very large f- picture of it, and it's some sort of a president, it looks like, or a prime minister, I should say. Honestly, if somebody held a gun to my head and was like, name one person on any bill, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, seriously. I mean, maybe they should get Tommy Abraham Douglas Lincoln. Who? Tommy Douglas. Wait, what? Braden just said something. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Let's just like, freak everyone out. <laughs> Let's just pick someone random. I was talking random. about people on bills. Oh, I see. I, I, I was thinking. Oh, I meant Canadian bills. I decided to pretend I didn't know you meant that. Yes, I see this. <laughs> if you had to think of a great Canadian, who would you think of even? Uh, Margaret Atwood. Oh, shit. I always yeah, forget that she's Canadian. I fucking agree with that. Here's the problem with great Canadians. If they're great enough, everyone always forgets that they're Canadian, you know? Yeah. They transcend our true. nothing country. <laughs> they really do. Hopefully one day people will forget we're Canadian. Yeah. Guys. I think that's like kind of like what you aim for as yeah. a Canadian. And then it's like a cute fact that they like throw on lists. May I suggest uh, David Suzuki? Is he Canadian? No. You may not suggest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. see, see what I'm talking about? I had no I freaking idea that, that he was mean, Canadian. Therefore, uh, what about Chris Hadfield? Oh, that's legit. Yeah. Yeah. But he's he's alive, so again, I agree with that man's this strange I don't know if he's like point. a legacy, like he's a cool guy. No, 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 I know, I know. I, 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 my knee-jerk reaction was, oh yeah, everyone likes an astronaut, but then I thought about, again, what was his name? What was the tweeter's name? Happy Camper. Happy Camper. I thought about what Happy Camper says. <laughs> all his reasons. He doesn't meet all those reasons, so. <laughs> what about Arcade Fire? Oh my god, that would be fucking funny as a country to do that. Isn't Elon must be really uh, weird. Canadian. Is he? That's too bad. I wanted to talk about dead Canadians some more <laughs> because there's another dead Canadian that I wanted to talk about. Uh, rest in peace, Dr. Bonnie Burstow. Are any of you familiar with her at all? Not no. really, no. Okay, so she was a feminist Canadian psychotherapist. She was born in Winnipeg. Uh, she was a professor at OISE at U of T, and she just died like a couple of weeks ago. 
And she, I, I, I knew about her because uh, I stumbled upon her article titled uh, Electroshock, the Gentleman's Way to Batter Woman. <laughs> so oh, she was quite the rhetorician. She reminded me of Andrea Dworkin a, a little bit that way anyway. She became kind of well-known because she wrote a lot about, like, how to do feminist therapy with women, like, in the early 90s before it became more popular and superficial. So she was one of the first and one of the major to talk about how mainstream forms of therapy were sort of male-centered and how, you know, just as one example off the top of my head, if you've been traumatized by rape um, and then you're uh, anxious and paranoid... To frame that as a disorder is sort of like, a, it's just like a strange way of doing it. It's actually a very rational response to being violated that way. Mm-hmm. And um, she's most known for like the anti-psychiatry movement. So um, she had like an anti-psychiatry scholarship come out a couple of years ago. And I wanted to apply for it, actually, because I found out about it and found out about her when I started becoming really critical of psychiatry. Um And this caused like a huge kerfuffle around people. Um, They were worried that it would um, basically harm. Like we're we're starting to talk a lot about mental health as a culture. And I guess they were worried that this would like uh, impede that or cause problems for people or make them think that uh, mental health is not a big deal or it's made up or whatever. Um, So I don't know. Like, what do you think of? Yeah. So she's so she's critical of. You say like she has like the anti-psychiatry movement, but so it's like more so like people being over medicated psychiatrists just being like, okay, I'm labeling this, this, and then here are some pills to help it as opposed to like getting down to the root of the issues, which a lot of the times are like social and culturally exactly influenced. I, that's that's basically it so she's really critical of like the the pharmacological like pharmaceutical uh financialization aspect of it and just like the framing of it uh so she some some quotes from her i don't use the words mental health i absolutely wince when i hear them which i really liked and i kind of agree to to a certain extent and she says Do I believe people have anxiety? Do I believe that people feel compulsions? Of course. But I believe these feelings are a normal human way of experiencing reality. So so she was saying that a lot of the times people are feeling this way as a response to their environment, their social conditions, and by slapping a label on it and medicating them or whatever, putting them in a psychiatric facility, you're not really addressing it. I agree with her. I mean, like, at least my experiences with psychiatrists, I would just get immediately... Like I would talk to a psychiatrist for about like 20 minutes and then they would prescribe multiple things as opposed to like getting to know me and the different things that I've gone through. And I think it speaks like largely to everyone feeling like they need to identify with something and label them themselves as something. And then like also speaking further to the fact of things being like individualized and we're all unique and we all like have this, 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 and this, want to be so outward with our pain, but we're not actually processing it properly. When I had to read by Mark Fisher uh, in school, like his book, Capitalist Realism, he has a really good quote about this. Well, let me find it. So just keep talking. Brayden, what do you think? Because when when I read Radical Feminist Therapy, I thought a little bit about like your experiences in um, like male dominated recovery groups and stuff like that. Yeah, that that came to mind. I've I've been speaking about that lately um i'm a member of two 12 step programs i guess and i find a lot of the if you're gonna call it treatment i guess is to me is created or used with a male in mind it's not to say it's not helpful for me as a female 
but I definitely have to kind of find myself picking and choosing what I'm going to take and what I'm I'm not going to take. Um, I've also had a little bit, I mean, I don't want that this could just be anecdotal, but I've had a little bit of more negative experiences in terms of psychiatry as well. Just felt like I wasn't, I've only been to a psychiatrist once that was actually in a treatment center. Um, whereas I found the therapist, the psychologist, extremely helpful. The psychiatrist, she was on Skype, so that made it worse, but really just wanted to put me on meds without listening to what I was saying. And I had issues. Um, I brought up issues. She didn't know I knew the side effects already. And I brought is- like concerns I had with what she was prescribing me. And she was kind of like, well, we'll just change them if you experience that. And I found that pretty anxiety inducing at, at a time I was very anxious. So <laughs> anyways, her. So the funny thing is, I was looking a little bit more into her uh, when I found out she died. I was like, I, I was actually quite sad. But uh, she was like having a battle with UFT because they were wanted to put up this plant wall. And they were redesigning some building and they wanted to put in a giant plant wall. But she's allergic to plants. Um, and she's like quite just dis- all plants. I don't know, man. Like, that's what she said. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, she's got like a bunch of disabilities, I guess. I don't know. Walks with a cane. She's like half blind. And and there was this quote, and this was just like a month before she died. I think of the living plant wall as a threat to my existence. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god, did they did they put that fucking plant wall up, and did they almost kill her? Anyway, I thought it was a little bit ironic that she kind of she was so critical of these um disorders these various disorders but then she had this like mysterious plant allergy that was, was so severe say, that like <laughs> so i was BF. like i don't know maybe maybe the fucking ag- being in academia got to her a little bit um i mean i'm sure there some of her papers are a little bit out there like electroshock um gentleman's way of battering women you know i don't agree to it with it like fully like i think but but again like it's the it's it's the rhetoric that's impressive to me and criticisms like that are useful not to not to say oh okay yeah men or or psychiatrists who use electroshock are basically abusing women it's just like to me uh like a a place to take the criticism to get you to think to get you to really take it seriously and then you can kind of do what you want with it so for that i appreciate her i actually just left um a class um a psych class where the doctor that was um teaching it was talking about how people feel the need to pathologize things such as trauma, particularly PTSD, where it's a specific cluster of symptoms. It's not just you experience trauma. So technically you are post-trauma, but it's not post-traumatic stress disorder. She was she was kind of um, warning the class to not do that. Particularly it's that phenomenon, I forget what it's called in the medical field, but medical students often start experiencing the symptoms of the things they're studying it's like human nature and oh that's so weird yeah so um yeah so obviously psychology and the like students will do the same thing so it's an abnormal psych class so she's just warning people not to do that but she was also talking about obviously things that are against the norm here and we think of them as disorders um, in other countries, they have disorders we would think would be crazy, but it's actually quite common there. So they're not considered disorders. She mentioned one specifically. I just pulled it out because we were talking about it. 
called wait 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 is this the one where they're scared their penis yes. is gonna fall off? <laughs> yeah. yes so it's like apparently like quite common it's this like it's this very common anxiety and she like now i'm gonna not know the country she said japan or korea but i didn't look it up um where yeah the like people are intensely afraid that their penis is retracting into their bodies uh, and apparently it's common she just used that to illustrate the fact that like of course we would be like yeah that person has a disorder they're like constantly worried about that but it's like fairly common in that country then there was another one called lata in malaysia and people are extremely startled by noises like sudden noises and will like swear out so like sorry swear randomly i don't know i didn't really understand like Teresi. <laughs> that's i was about to say that um but it's like if, if i was to like Malaysian if i was to like spook one of you guys they would like react like violently and Teresi. anyway so it was just funny that sonia sonia had mentioned that and she was just speaking of that but basically illustrates the point that um people are over diagnosed <laughs> here yes she mentioned also, I won't get into that one, actually. That's why I, like, haven't ever been to a psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever the fuck. Because they it just, like, the whole thing kind of weirds me out, to be honest. Well, psychology, I mean, treatment is different than, like, the diagnosis, right? You can still get, like, like my psychologist helps treat certain things I have issues with. You don't actually have to be diagnosed with an illness to benefit from psychology. No, yeah, psychiatry is more like directed at a specific. It, sorry, it just speaks to our society though. Like we're just like quick to jump on things and like we're all kind of... It's wanting a quick fix, it's right? Where like yeah. CBT or talk therapy takes time and doesn't just solve the problem. It just makes you better able to cope with it i think all there's actually something called like, like we should probably wrap this topic up but there, i'll say one more thing there's something called the dodo bird effect i think and i i fucking can't understand why they call it this i don't get it because it's not i don't get it but and you'll see why um basically every treatment is basically roughly the same has the same outcomes and they think it's just because um you know when you're doing something about it then you're motivated to do something about it and you're gonna do something about it and then there's a lot of spontaneous remission too right like most people who have some sort of issue actually just kind of get better on their own after some time um for whatever reason so you know just just like psychiatric medications a lot of like treatments kind of go in and out of style and one will seem like the gold standard for a while and then 10 years later everyone's like why the fuck were we doing mtt now we have to do cbt and then in a few years it's like no now it's dbt and um, there's uh, there's uh, there's evidence for and against all of them. And I think that what should be pushed is not that like this is the scientific way, but just like that. Here's like a fucking array of things that might work for you and like, you know, try them out and, and see which one is going to help you there. And there is no no one way that's going to work for everyone because it is all just and it depends on the therapist and like you can have like a great treatment but if your therapist is shit then forget it yeah i read re i read a book mm -hmm. recently it was actually like a very great book especially if you're interested in the practice of therapy called maybe you should talk to somebody or maybe you should talk to someone and she cites a study that found 
of every single factor in therapy, the most important factor is your relationship with your therapist above what method, um, how much money, every single factor, the most important in every single case was your connection to your therapist. So if there's one thing when choosing your therapist, that's the most important, not the actual method of therapy they're using. I think that's really cool. And I think that Mm -hmm. is probably the best information about therapists I've ever heard. Who's next? I'm going to talk about um, <laughs> birth tourism. Um, I sounds actually, scary. Yeah, it, it does that? sound scary. It, it, guys, it can be kind of scary. <laughs> um, I didn't actually know a lot about, about this um, prior to looking into it. Sonia had suggested. Um, so birth tourism is the practice whereby babies are born in Canada to non-residents because in Canada, it's actually one of the few developing nations that still has this rule. But a baby born in Canada is an automatic Canadian citizen, um, regardless of uh, where the parents are from. I did not know that at all. Um, me neither. <laughs> um, so anyways, there's this, whole, there's this whole concept of birth tourism. So people come to Canada specifically so their babies are born here. The benefits being um, they can use that to sponsor the parents um, or they'll get the benefits of being a Canadian citizen, such as if they were going to send them, they have a Canadian, they can get a Canadian passport and they can send their kid back and they can get the tuition fees of a Canadian when they're older. So they're doing it obviously for those reasons. So Um, are women like literally just flying over like a month before their due date or do they like come over way before that um i I was actually discussing with this this earlier um it's hard to actually say on that some people so there's actually a 13 percent increase uh last year in birth tourism so the article was kind of examining why that's happening specifically um, I'm not sure when the when the mothers would be coming over. So they did mention that some of them are here already on a work visa or something along those lines. Um, but then, but they do believe and know a great portion of them are specifically coming here to have their babies, which would make them birth tourists. Um, and a lot of them leave right after. So so they're not. So the issues there are they're not paying taxes here. Um, it also is promoting the private healthcare system, which I personally see some issues with. Um, so doctors have an incentive to help these people. They'll, they'll make money off it because they're going to pay like cash out of pocket. Um, so some hospitals, I believe it's Sunnybrook in Toronto, will not accept people without an OHIP card to avoid things like this. Um, the consequence being nurses get really upset over it. They're really overworked. So, And the patients that are from Canada under OHIP aren't getting the level of care that they feel they should be as they are helping these people to make money or for whatever, whatever other reason. Other hospitals will um, are quoted as saying they're not going to turn anyone away. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So really the only way to get rid of this, if that's what we wanted to do, it would be to eliminate the law that um, babies born here are automatically Canadian citizens because you can't turn some, someone away from a hospital that's having a baby, right? Yeah, that's basically it, I think. <laughs> you have to remove the incentive. Do you think that that would have any bad effects? Probably not because... I was trying to think um, just... This is going to sound cold, but what is the benefit of that law? 
financially for Canada as a whole, like, why does that law exist? I couldn't really think of it. I didn't. Well, it could be like if people are having their babies in Canada and they're having the Canadian citizenship and like, as you said, later on, they're sending them to to Canada for the tuition rates and everything. Like, essentially, those people could be going to university in Canada and eventually working in Canada and supporting our economy. I wonder if the law was made just like way before something like this was ever possible. Like, it was made in, like, the fucking, like, (laughs) late 1800s or something, and, uh, wait, when did Canada become a thing? Anyway. (laughs) Or was it possibly... 1867. It could have been created as an incentive for immigration. Yes. If we, if they were looking for people to move to Canada. That's, that's, yeah. What, were there talks of them relooking this policy and Uh, seeing if they were going to change it? voted, the conservatives are talking of wanting to but it hasn't gone forward um so of course like one side of me is going we're all human they deserve this thing but it but it is true that if they're coming and then doctors are now incentivized to help those people over the people that are under the the healthcare system um should doctors be able to be making money but that opens a whole new can of worms about the legitimacy of private healthcare in canada Oh, there's also websites for it. So doctors can like promote themselves as being, as doing it, which seems shady as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I Well, because the doctors literally will make money for themselves, but the nurses and the other hospital staff become overworked and they're not making direct money from those oh, people. Oh, I get that if it's in like a hospital setting, but like if you work... Oh, it oh, is. Like half, if, if you work half your life to be a doctor... You set up your own practice, and then you accept people from different countries to come here. It's in ho- it's in hospitals because it's okay. Well, it just seems it's also fraud, kind of right. Like like they're literally mm-hmm. you've got people literally coming to Canada literally just to give birth here. Like these are obviously wealthy people or something. Like yeah, they, I, I don't I can't imagine yeah, who else has the ability to do that to try to like kind of take advantage of being able to maybe send their kids to school here and pay domestic fees or whatever whatever other advantages come with it so it's just like uh no one's really benefiting except for the individual people yeah i'd like to see a report on like which countries mostly these people are coming from like what Um, percentages from china it was china yeah um and the actually the two doctors they had mentioned I think maybe, oh, I'm not going to say that because I don't actually know for sure. Um, I know, so Trump, so a solution, this article here cites that a solution to end birthright citizen entirely, as Trump has said he's going to do in the state. So I guess the state still has it as well, which kind of surprises me. Um, So Australia has stringent requirements. They only grant citizens citizenship when a child born in that country has at least one one citizen sorry one citizen parent or permanent resident parent and even then the child must live in australia for 10 years after birth that's kind of what i was thinking it makes more sense if if we still had the birthright thing but then the child has to actually live there after like what benefit do we have if they're just leaving the country not paying taxes then coming back and yeah if they stay here then yeah like the mother and child like in the states like there's the uh, immigration from Mexico issue, so parents might come uh, give birth to a child if there's some sort of deportation issue, but and the child isn't considered an American citizen, even though they've lived there for a long time. 
um, then that would be that would be a problem, and I could see why they have these laws. But uh, it doesn't really make sense in the Canadian context, and definitely not if you don't have that uh, stipulation that you need to to remain here. <laughs> you can't just dart back off to to your, to China. When I was working in the constituency office, there were a couple people who would leave Canada for seven months and then just come back uh, for a couple months because there's like a rule to to like make sure that they keep their OHIP, but they're not actually paying taxes and they're going back off. And like this one guy was like living in Thailand and then he would just come back for um, a couple months or maybe I think you have to be back for five months and then he would just leave again. Um but never pay taxes and just come back so we could still have Can you the imagine OHIP. having that level of and foresight the, like like yeah. to do anything <laughs> like that? But I can't imagine traveling somewhere to give birth so that twenty years later my shitty kid can like I don't know, <laughs> save a bundle and I guess it also depends on like the conditions and like what's happening in your own country, like right? Like, yeah, you could be wealthy, but your country sh- could be on the brink of like a fucking economic failure or like war or something and you're like fuck i'm gonna go to this country give birth to my kid so that when the future comes i know that canada is going to be a better cutter country to live in than the one i'm living in now so hopefully my kid has a future you know if you look at it from that angle like i have different feelings about it but as you said these people are like wealthy and like blah 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 so like i don't know um, I don't I'm not sure that all of them are actually wealthy. The, speaking on that, um, there's actually a big issue with it as well and that a lot of people don't pay. So um, that leaves the taxpayers to pay basically for people that skip out on the bill right. because they're in another country and it's obviously hard to collect. So that's another issue. Um, just to speak on the money thing. So they were talking about one hospital in Vancouver. So more than $18 million has been invoiced for non-resident births since 2017. But a nurse nurse at that hospital is saying they haven't seen any of that money going into easing their workloads. Um, So that's obviously... That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, so so there's obviously a huge financial incentive, but if it's going into just specific people's pockets and it's costing the taxpayers money... Yeah, I'd be really curious about what the... Like, what is the typical family doing this? Because, yeah, I, I don't know if they're wealthy. That's just kind of like what came to my mind. Um, but uh, I, I... That's what I would assume, though, just because of the whole, like, flight and then... Yeah, and, and, and like, having that level of force after you to, get like... Birth. It yeah. just seems like a rich people thing to do, but I could be well, wrong. Yeah. Even <laughs> if, like, if you were citing... Um, someone from a Vancouver hospital, too, and then talking about how... Um, a lot of these people are coming from China. Uh, the Chinese population in Vancouver is like skyrocketing, and they're also um, buying up a lot of real estate as well there because it's cheaper to their dollar. Yeah, so this hospital so. in Vancouver, um, there's two doctors that have delivered 1,300 of the 2,206 babies born to non-residents since 2014. These two doctors is Dr... Wang and Tan, both two Mandarin-speaking family doctors, um, and they're also ones that promote it as as conspiracy. Such. Yeah, um, and they look a little shady on on releasing anything on that. They've been asked to comment and haven't as mm-hmm. much. It's odd to think about this as even being like a Canadian issue. It didn't even like it wasn't even a blip on my radar until like ten minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Conservatives did. Um, in the election call to to ban that but it hasn't come up since 
I guess it's like a pretty simple solution, right? Like no citizenship for. I think like the Australian thing, like they the kid has to live in Canada for ten years after they're born. I think that the child and the mother. I think. I guess the would consequence be, would be. I, think I that's guess a now. Much, but they're relying on this money to come in some sort of the infrastructure i guess but apparently the hospital budget does not account for it whatsoever because it's not um it's not ohip so it it just fucks with everything because the resources don't include this at all anyways it kind of seems good for a few people yeah. shitty for everyone yeah, else <laughs> but further research is required that on is my so part interesting. that would sure. be really frustrating um as a nurse or a healthcare provider or whatever like you have someone giving birth and you want to help them, but like I can imagine it being frustrating. I don't know if you know they're kind of trying to do it to get around some law to benefit themselves. And I don't, I just don't know. I wonder what that would feel like. I know they quoted a couple of nurses when I was like briefly looking at the issue and they just sounded quite exasperated. And I was like, yeah, I don't really know. Like, and the whole, the mothers um, from, from, uh, Canada or from the province. I think it's localized mostly to Ontario, British Columbia, and Quebec. Um, they really are having to cancel certain treatments for those mothers or certain processes they normally do because they're over uh, overpopulated in the hospitals, which would be a pain in the ass. And the one, uh, Sunnybrook, that is denying patients that don't have OHIP, they're only able to do that because other hospitals will take them. So that hospital only has the luxury of denying patients knowing other hospitals could take them. They can't all just say, no, we're not going to help this woman giving birth on the ground. They knew someone else would take them. So that's great that they get to take that moral moral ground, but they only can do that because other people won't. Well, speaking of birth, (laughs) um, the the birth of new ideas. Good I actually God, have no idea what you're about to apple say. Seed. Okay. Um, Blow us away. So earlier this week, I went to my first trampoline hall. Um, <gasps> Why? No, no. It's <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's an event called Trampoline Hall. Um, it's in Toronto. Uh, I live in Toronto. And oh, oh my God! I thought you yeah. were talking about like a trampoline like sky place zone? with literal. Yeah, no, I can't go to those anymore. I have bad, I react like, bladder problems, I, so I reacted like that because I literally saw a post on Instagram of like this medical thing that I follow, and it was a guy who was at one of those like trampoline parks and literally snapped his fucking ankle in half. I've always wow. been really scared of trampolines, Ainsley. I remember being on one with you once, and you were Ainsley about it, and I'll never. <laughs> go on a trampoline ever again she what just happened? was like jumping and i was like stop because i was i'm always afraid and like yeah double yeah, yeah. And i'm always you? afraid i'm yeah. gonna fly off like i don't understand how everyone has control in the air you know like i, I i'm up in the air and i'm so vulnerable i could fall off it's acquired i'm scared <laughs> and then ainsley's laughing her ass off and i'm just like fuck this i'm out of here forget it yeah, I guess if I had like top ten places, I d- wouldn't want to be with Ainsley. A trampoline. <laughs> a rickety boat in the middle of the sea is another one. <sighs> um, okay, anyway, so trampoline hall. Sorry, what is, is it if it's not event? about trampolines? <laughs> okay, goddamn it, I'm getting right to the point. Okay, so it was started in 2001 by Sheila Haiti, I think that's how you pronounce her last name. But she's um, a Canadian author. She actually just had a book come out. I think it was a year or two ago called Motherhood that I read. Um, it was quite interesting. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but. So she started it. Basically, it's like a barroom lecture series. Um, so they have it happens once a month and they have someone to choose who uh, gives lectures each night. It's three lectures per night. 
And the only rule is that the person can't have any professional experience with what they're going to talk about, but they can just go up there and talk about whatever they want. And then there's a Q and A. So the three lectures, I actually loved one of them so much. And then the other two were like, meh. Um, But the first one, it was like this gay, like brown, maybe like 28 year old guy. And his talk was called of Moose, Men, and Me, Abercrombie and Fitch. And he talked about, yeah, and he talked about his obsession (laughs) with Abercrombie and Fitch in like 2004. And then he got into like the whole background of the actual company and the CEO who is no longer the CEO now, his name was Mike Jeffries, but I didn't even know this, but I guess he was like very, very controversial in the retail industry. Um, for like sexualizing youth and stuff and didn't oh, they say yeah, something yeah. like only hot that. people can wear our clothes or something and then that made everyone mad was that them i think they only had like hot oh yeah i remember too. that i remember <laughs> yeah. oh my god i remember a time when it was like a, a girl would be like i was asked to be an abercrombie and fitch model like that would be yeah. like something that you would kind of brag about like you'd probably have it in your dating profile or something sorry keep going jenna No, it's okay. But he was like, he was proud to say like, we only hire good looking people because we want to target good looking, hot, cool people. That's our audience and no one else. And then he would like talk about thinness and whatever. And I guess he he had like flight attendants on his private jet. Like they had to wear flip flops. What was his rationale Just to like fit the Abercrombie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If that doesn't speak to how cool of a guy he is, I don't know what the fuck does. Yeah, all of these sexy girls must wear flip motherfucking flops. I have a, I have a quote from Mike Jeffries. He said, "People said we were cynical that we were sexualizing little girls, but you know what? I still think those are cute underwear for little girls. And I think Ew. anybody who gets on a bandwagon about thongs for little girls is crazy, just crazy. There's so what? much craziness about sex in this country. It's nuts." This is like Sean <laughs> talking. I can see getting upset about letting your girl hang out with a bunch of old pervs, but why would you let your girl hang out with a bunch of old pervs? Um, this is literally anyway. Sean talking. I know. Um, so this guy talked about it. It was pretty funny. In the Q&A at the end, someone asked him, what would you describe the Abercrombie and Fitch smell to be like? And oh. he, he said, he ended up saying, it's like, uh, like sweaty sweat on wood but then he like described it as like a guy fucking you on a wooden table and it was uh, quite so uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> but like it kind of made sense in my mind no I yeah. get it Did like you guys, it evoked it's an emotion uh, in me 100% I, I was instantly yeah. transported whoa, 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 into wait. have we all been fucked on a wooden table uh, I mean I probably. have to think yeah but I can't think of it I have it's 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 safe to say yeah but i was thinking of like a splintery when she said that i was thinking of like a splintery picnic table yeah i, I mean, was thinking of like a ring stained like wild what is that wild wing table oh, oh gross I worked there. that's yeah. what i was thinking about i was thinking of just a sweaty just... guy in the abercrombie polo just sweating on the table <laughs> did you guys wear Abercrombie or did you wear Hollister? Uh, I actually didn't. I found those stores themselves. The, fi- the physical store was repulsive repul- because it was so dark. Do you remember those weird stores? And I like f- I got anxiety just the clothes going just weren't even that. nice. I've never set foot in either one of those stores in my entire. They life. weren't as ubiquitous in Canada, but I, I used to go shopping in the states okay. a lot. 
Okay, I love I'm, when you say ubiquitous. <laughs> me too. I apparently can't say. So this it, is what this I, guy's I been saying a lot. Yeah, but it was more. It, it, he literally. It was like a three thousand word essay, but he like talked more about being gay. Um, and then like, like he used to bring around the bag with like the guy's abs on it like everywhere he went um and then he just kind of talked about I that for a bit but he's store for you know gay men yeah i just um just uh that reminded me do, do you guys know of the lululemon stuff as well their founder was uh-huh. also like a huge dick that's, was, like, that's actually shaming. a canadian story yeah uh it's from vancouver i just pulled up his quotes because it just reminded me of him so they had like issues with pilling with their clothes. So the the founder Chip Wilson, you can hear his name right off the bat. He's a dick. He said that his company does not make clothes for plus size women because it's too costly, and then blamed the like the clothing problems with people's people having body shapes inconsistent with his clothes wearing them. Basically, like fat shaming, saying like the reason his clothes were shitty quality is because girls were too fat that we're wearing them but Lizzo. anyways it's, it's pretty um, shitty um but the actually the one that i want to talk to you guys about the most it was the last one and it was this black girl she's probably around our age like in her upper 20s um Shh, don't tell them how old we are right sorry um anyway it was named a history of white men dragging other joking. white men and she meant dragging as in like not in literally dragging, but she talks about <laughs> how we there's been like so many different really famous feuds between white alt rock band guys. And she like named the famous one like with Blur Blur and Oasis, Oasis. in the nineties. <laughs> um and then she recently cited one with like, do you guys know Mark Kozalik? He's like Sun Sun Kill Moon and whatever. Anyway, he I guess like called the war on drugs the whitest band ever and then like wrote a whole song about it but her whole argument was basically that feuds between alt rock bands are about the genre and have more credibility to the masses and we like care about them more as opposed to say fe- like rapper feuds that seem more personal and like they're not taken as seriously and I don't necessarily agree with that. I, yeah, well, I don't think I do either. I know. I didn't really agree with her either because I was thinking about the whole, like, who is NWA feuding with? And even um, Ja Rule and um, Fat Joe, you guys. But what she was... Probably. I don't know any. I don't know any I of actually, the alt, Yeah, I was like, like what alt rock bands are... Yeah. I know. Well, and then she talked about how, like, that's all she listened to in high school, too, were these bands. And, like talked about them in depth about their different feuds like the dandy warhols and the brian jonestown massacre if you know of them okay <laughs> so yeah. those but, would be more salient to her because that's yeah what she was but i think to. she was making the whole argument because again she was like a woman of color and we focus more on like the personality like it's personalities clashing with like rappers or people of color and whatever and as opposed to like alt rock bands which it's about the genre it was like the beatles and yoko ono that was like entirely made out to be a personal thing or courtney Mm -hmm. courtney killed cobain that whole fucking uh paranoid conspiracy like it's it's a very yeah, i don't know if that's a, a conspiracy very, though <laughs> here we go it's, it's just like a terrible thesis on when you can literally list like four thousand examples off the top of your head that are contradictory to it and i don't even understand i know and i think people do credit the music a lot in like i've know very little of rap and i like feel like i've heard them specifically mention like they diss each other's ability to rap 
I've never really thought of it as so if anything I could lean more towards the woman man thing like you just mentioned because they'll make it more like it's catty as opposed to but I've I I don't know I've never considered that but maybe I've never had to yeah I found it kind of just frustrating too because like the whole title was like white men dragging white men and but again like what you said it was her obsession with that genre and it says more about her than the about the actual culture um and it would be her like she would be more interested in the music because she was interested in the music to to someone who doesn't listen to that music they'd probably be like yeah those silly man, men are fighting with each other not like wow, what a credible uh discussion now this, this is a real band <laughs> battle okay <laughs> well and then she was talking about like fandom and how we like picking sides see this is an example of like um analysis done like badly in my opinion so like you know, Bonnie Burstow says some things that I don't agree with, but at least I can see the value in her criticism and where it's coming from ultimately. And I like, but, but this just, it it seems like it's like a trying to be analytical without being analytical. Like it follows the formula because today you just kind of have to pick a thing that with hot topic, hot. Sure. Like, okay, here's something privileged people do. And here's something not privileged people do. Let's compare the two. Oh, well, privileged people like red and not privileged people like blue. Hmm, how can I spin this? Well, blue was like, you know what I mean? And like, who does it, who does it, how does it matter? Does it matter? How does this affect anyone? Does anyone even agree? Does anyone even, like, it doesn't seem to hit any of those boxes that a good sort of idea should. Ainsley, what would your topic be? I don't know what my topic is. Maybe something about landfills. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. What would your topics be? Ooh. I don't know right off the top of my head. Probably something about my uh, Cubano Gold (laughs) microphone Mm. and how it makes me superior. Just so everyone knows, my microphone's a much better color than everyone else's. We... Because apparently you we're not rich and can spend a hundred million dollars on a Cubano. I, I spent ten extra dollars on a really sexy colored microphone. And, Ours are uh, onyx red. That's arguably sexier. Red is the color of sex the viewers, and passion. I think all the viewers can tell just from listening that mine's a little sexier. Oh, I said red onks, and then Sonia was so disappointed and was like, Jenna, you read, though. Just, How did you know? I don't think you'd mispronounce onks. onks. Well, apparently this whole podcast, I don't know how to pronounce anything, so. <laughs> Eat your words. See, I can't read <laughs> in your face. Ainsley, what are you talking about this episode? Oh, I'm up. All right. Okay. So what I'm talking about is... No, it's not that exciting. I shouldn't do a drum roll. That's ridiculous. Um, okay, so there's this uh, pretty famous Canadian poet. His name's George Eliot Clark. I don't know if you guys have heard of him or nope. not, but he's like a he's a pretty celebrated Canadian poet. I had had you go really on money? heard of him. Pardon? Should he go no, on he's money? Not, he's not dead. So. Okay. Um, it <laughs> uh, doesn't pass the first requirement, unfortunately, but, um, he was supposed to be, uh, delivering a lecture on indigenous justice issues at the University of Regina this past week. <laughs> I literally just giggled because Regina sounds like vagina. <laughs> I'm 12. I think we all knew why. <laughs> the that you explained why I ruined it for me. <laughs> I'm so- I'm so sorry. 
My my jewel just exploded. Oh my god, Jenna's fucking <laughs> killing the jewel with her nonstop suckings. Yeah, you're smart. And now I'm freaking getting distracted from this George Clark story. Yes, yes. Okay, back to that. Um, anyway, he's a celebrated Canadian poet. He was supposed to be delivering this lecture on Indigenous justice issues at the University of Regina. And um, he entitled this talk as Truth and Reconciliation versus the Murdered and Missing Missing in Examining Indigenous Experiences of Injustice in Four Saskatchewan Poets. And one of the Saskatchewan poets, I guess, who he was going to quote and talk about is a poet whose name is now Stephen Brown. He changed his name from Stephen Comerfield. And this poet was charged with murdering an Indigenous woman in the past, and her name was Pamela George. And um, it was only in 1995, so these wounds are still pretty fresh for, obviously, the Indigenous community in Saskatchewan. But so the university eventually ended up cancelling his talk because of the public backlash for it. He made this statement to CBC News that he said he wouldn't uh, pander to quote-unquote so-called intellectuals and quote-unquote may or may not read a poem by uh, Stephen Brown at the lecture, which I think is kind of a pretty crazy thing to say in the face of a bunch of like really deeply hurt indigenous peoples. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? And then, was the poem yeah. honestly this good to be included? Like, what is the poem? I want to know. I don't even know what the poem was, to be honest, because he didn't reveal it because nobody knows what his uh, lecture was going to be, right? We didn't know what he was going to choose. But um, I guess Stephen Brown, like, I've never even heard of this guy before, so he can't be that great of a poet. But yeah, he was just going to read his shit there. But um, so he said that. Before it was cancelled, he said that he wasn't going to actually cite Brown's poetry, quote-unquote, because of my sensitivity to the feelings of the survivors of his victim. And it's like, okay, so which one are you? Like, do you care about this or do you not? Because your whole speech is supposed to be about Indigenous shit, you know what I mean? And I also do want to take a minute to recognize that George Eliot Clark is Indigenous. He's a mixed Black and Indigenous person, So it's not like he is unaffected or doesn't understand Indigenous issues at all, but it is like, how could you say one sort of thing? It's definitely a strange choice. I'm very curious about why he chose the murderer poet. Like, what was it supposed to offer that perspective or was he? No, it's because... He he had a relationship with this guy. Like they oh, were really, yeah, really that's good nice. friends. <laughs> and he also yeah, and he also um was like the editor of the the murder guy's work. So he literally edited all his work. So, so they he had, was like, a, promoting him. He, I don't think he was necessarily promoting him. I think that he just edited his work so he was familiar with it. So he was kind of like using it in a sense in his message but if your message is about truth and reconciliation and murdered and missing people in the indigenous community then i'm pretty sure you shouldn't be quoting someone who literally murdered an indigenous woman like that's fucked and just just for like a little bit of um background on the crime as well uh the poet his original name was stephen comerfield again and he changed it to stephen brown and him and his friend this guy named alex turnowetsky they were both convicted of manslaughter in 1995 um for killing pamela george and he uh brown was sentenced to 
six and a half years and he lives in Mexico now and he was like granted parole in like 2000 or something like that. So he ended up only serving like three and a half years of his sentence or something. And yeah. And Pamela George, um, the judge made it like explicitly clear that she was a prostitute. So like and then he gave them very light sentencing. So it was like a huge fucking outrage for like the indigenous community in Saskatchewan because it was such a light sentence for a murder. And the judge like made it a point to like tell everyone that she was a prostitute. It's like, why the fuck does that matter? Like a life is lost and these two men murdered yeah, her. That's, like that doesn't that's change anything. a really anything. terrible factor to have as a mitigating factor for a sentence that she was a prostitute like that doesn't make her life worth less um yeah like normally like when i saw a university canceling someone i was like okay here we go what's going on this time did someone like you know did someone say that did someone use the wrong word one time or whatever but this time i was like okay yeah no like it seems wildly inappropriate to um read the work of a murderer of indigenous woman at like a truth and reconciliation mm-hmm. talk it just doesn't sit right with me that being said i yeah, mean that's up to the, found- the the organizers of the talk and like the university i wouldn't have like called necessarily for the cancellation of it but i understand why it made people feel uncomfortable and i definitely would have felt uncomfortable yeah, and wouldn't want i found to, like, attend that the university like was very very uh diplomatic about it and the way that they went about it like they were they were just really good about it. They didn't beat around the bush. They were just kind of like, obviously, you've seen it all over the news, like universities and public spaces have been through issues of whether or not they should let someone speak. But we find that each issue should be treated individually. And in this certain situation, we're going to cancel this because of like these specific reasons. And we understand that like, sometimes it's beneficial to cancel things and sometimes it isn't. And we're not trying to like infringe on free speech. But in this situation like as a community we feel that this the like it's more important for us to like uphold the integrity and the feelings of the saskatchewan indigenous community than to necessarily have this guy speak and i was like props to you university for like actually making a real statement about this and not just being like meh okay we're canceled goodbye well, i, I you think know? that they like, probably did that to save their ass like i doubt they really care one way or the other about a lot of these issues i think that you know when you raise a big enough stink they're just like okay whatever we're gonna cancel it just just what you were talking about i just like wanted to look up what poems they were if they were inappropriate or anything i don't know if these are the same poems you're speaking about but that george Eliot guy he used to be the laureate for the parliamentary website parliamentary yeah, poet website yeah so he posted two poems i'm gonna assume they're the same ones in 2017 and they were just removed and one of them was um so the two poems one of them was specifically about a sex worker so that's pretty, uh, that's pretty gross um yeah um yeah they were convicted of manslaughter of her so How those, are, those were taken down because people said it was i have um a few quotes by him that i'd like to read just because like if If we're all thinking like, oh, this guy is an independent artist, like blah, 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 like he was going to quote something for the sake of art. Like he he said this, quote unquote, my friend ended up serving only three and a half years because of a sexist and racist judge who decided that the victim, an indigenous woman, a sex worker, partly deserved the rape and death at the hands of two young white men before. And then he went on to say, quote, my friend, the accomplice to murder of this woman is an incredible poet. He is a fairly kind man who has paid his debt to society, as the saying goes, and so should be left to live his life. 
quote like unquote so it's like which side are you on like it kind of seems to me like when people are pressuring him about it he's like oh yeah fuck this guy i only learned about his discrepancies in september and it changed my opinion on him but then at the same time he's also spewing this bullshit about being like he he served his time. It was enough. It's like three and a half years for taking a woman's life. That's not fucking nearly enough. I, I agree that this guy sucks and that, you know, I get why people would be upset. But on the issue of, I think, Sonia, you had said that. I mean, whether or not they should cancel it, I think that, I don't know. I guess I, I don't really know about that. Apparently, these poems were up on the website as well. I don't know. It's obviously difficult the whole conversation um, from separating the art from the artist. and But I think you can like someone's work, but you can't endorse their morals in the sense that you can't be like, well, you know, and he's like the sweetest man kind of thing. And then like put that on other people. If you want to actually say like, he's a great artist, I don't think that he should conflate that with who he is as a person and like, talking about while he's served his time i just think the truth and reconciliation uh whatever was the wrong fucking place to (laughs) try to read that poem yeah (laughs) again like i probably wouldn't have called not the personally called for cancellation but um i like you know if it was for any other reason i could probably get it um if it was supposed to be to kind of like I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's lots of reasons you could think of to show something like that, to display something. It's not like we should, like, strick it from the historical record. Uh, but but definitely seems like a bit of a slap in the face to read it at a, like, a... Crazy. Like a, it's, like, odd. It's, a kind of aggressive to do yeah. that. Well, and, like, he must have just so much confidence in that decision, just being like, and I'm going to read this. And, like, I don't know. I just, like, whenever I'm doing anything, I, I mean, I know I overthink a lot of things, but, like... I just, he clearly was... That's why I see it as likely more a form of aggression than yeah. than either an oversight or confidence. I mean, he was making a point, I have to imagine, or testing his, testing what he could get away with or what, I don't know, maybe he wanted to start controversy. I also get why the parliamentary website took it down. They, they yeah. The government doesn't need to be posting that. Um, <laughs> so that seems like an easy decision there in terms of that guy. Yeah, he, he doesn't seem, he seems like he's got some ulterior motives to that. Yeah, and that's I fair. also kind of wanted to ask you guys too, like, what do you think the limits are on artists really and how their work is accessed and shown if they are per se a murderer or perhaps, you know, in cahoots? with a murderer i don't know that's hard to say i don't really think there should be one like a limit to it because who gets to decide at like at what point what they've done is bad enough that their art is now not to be viewed by the public it's just mm -hmm. the context right i mean yeah and and the quality of art doesn't like diminish i guess but i guess it does diminish in the social sense but like should they be making money off it you know like if this guy went to speak and promoted this guy's poems perhaps shed some more light on his work and he made more money from it like that's a little fucked up kind of because he murdered i mean doesn't couldn't the argument be made as yourself of a big fan of true crime that is that is capitalizing on other people's pain particularly murder 
it's mm-hmm. like where do you draw the line that that's not okay so basically i don't think there really should be a line um yeah, i i i don't like like i am not able to separate some artists from the art that's but that's my personal reaction to it i don't think you should decide for other people really and i think also because art is so subjective there is no decision that can be universally made you know what i mean like for example chris brown it's like he beat the shit out of rihanna have i downloaded his music since no because i don't think what chris brown is doing is art necessarily but it's like to a bunch of people who think that chris brown's music is art did they still download his shit probably you know like you can't really make a universal decision about art because there's no finite limit to it you know yeah, it was, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a slippery slope. Like, why? Why? It, who gets to be in charge of? Okay, what that guy's crime did was too bad. No one's allowed to buy his music anymore. But that guy's crime, that <laughs> one's acceptable. You know, he just raped someone. You can still listen to his music. I mean, that's you like one person shouldn't or one faculty shouldn't be in charge of that. In my opinion. Yeah. No. Yeah. It just depends on the context and the purpose. And uh, again, in a different context, maybe this would have been something to me that was more legitimate but because of the stated purpose of the talk it seems wildly (laughs) wrong um in other cases i mean i don't know like like you said where do you draw the line and at what point does it become sort of just like a pointless stand to take because there's no way of doing it that is consistent right because anytime you say i don't I don't know, I don't listen to this artist or I don't watch this show or whatever. You could think of anything. And I've certainly done so uh, about certain whatever comedians or something. Um, but I can, I'm can. i sure someone could very easily list a bunch of people who I do enjoy who have done shitty things, you know, writers yeah, or sure. whatever. So then it just, so then I'm like, okay, so I'm a hypocrite. Um, so So there's just like no way of doing it consistently. So then it just becomes like this sort of, I don't know, whoever whoever it happens to be trendy to trash. And then kind of like you said with Chris Brown, like, okay, yeah, I don't listen to Chris Brown because I don't fucking like Chris Brown. Easy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I, I could fucking yeah. like, say I'm hot shit for that and I'm like taking a stand. But uh, yeah, because we're all like, we all have all these ethics until it's inconvenient for us. Myself yeah, no, and 100%. <laughs> and that's why that's when I started kind of like relaxing a bit because it was because I, I was like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that to like be good. But then it's just like, first of all, there's no way you're going to be able to pull that off. It's literally impossible. And second of all, like, it doesn't fucking do anything. Like, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess in this case is one place where I feel like, okay, we could uh, we could not read a a, a murderer poem at a thing. But then in other cases, it's like you listen to a song or you don't listen to a song. Like, what the fuck's the difference? Um, to close this topic up, I do have a poem. Not that the murderer wrote. Because I, <laughs> that would be really funny. I don't No, I don't want to give the murderer any more uh, space. But um, I have a poem by George Eliot Clark, the guy who the story is about, who was supposed to do the speech at the university that was canceled. And it's really creepy. And I'd really love to read it to you. <laughs> Please. It's called, uh, it's called Blues for X, <clears throat> by George Eliot Clark. Pretty boy, towel your tears and robe yourself in black. 
pretty boy, dry your tears, you know I'm coming back. I'm your lavish lover, and I'm slavish in the sack. Call me sweet potato, sweet pea or sweetie pie. There's sugar on my lips and honey in my thighs. Josephine Baker bakes beans, but I stew pigtails and rye. My bones are guitar strings and blues the chords you strum. My bones are slender flutes and blues the bars you hum. You want to stay, my man? Serve me whiskey when I come. I kind of liked it, if I'm being honest. Really? I didn't at all. It creeps me the fuck out! Also, because we were talking about Trudeau being a pretty boy, he was the first person I thought <laughs> of when you started it. I don't know. I, I didn't knew, hate it. I, I knew that, it that was like going to happen. <laughs> but I think yeah. he should speak at all the universities. <laughs> it definitely has like a certain um, effect on you. The poem, yeah, I find knowing the like, like backstory and then the way you read it, Ainsley. Yeah, yeah. Like, I find it. So I was yeah. a little bit involved. <laughs> you should have read it in more like, like creepy in a way that I like didn't. <laughs> Let me yeah. just say to finish things off that there's a poll on Twitter about bearded Justin Trudeau, fifty three percent hot, forty six percent not. Ooh, mm. that's pretty close. So, right now, the majority of Canadians on Twitter think that bearded justin trudeau is hot uh, okay what's the poll between the four of us i say hot i say well definitely hotter yes i hotter. don't know so you're hot. hotter I'm i don't not. you prefer I'm, him without I'm, one I'm see because i don't i'm not attracted to him either in but either state like, but it's better so you're, you prefer you're, you're him. Go yeah hot then i'm gonna go with not yeah hot if the comparison is others, just <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the line. So. Okay, but if you have to choose, if you have to have you sex have to. with one of those Justin Trudeaus, <laughs> which, which one? one? <laughs> okay, wait. Pretty I'm just boy. gonna Google it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't answer and you know without thinking about I wish, it. I wish, I wish I wish no one had seen it yet, and we could live present. That <laughs> yeah, that would have been really funny. Real. Like you turn I was around. Truly sh- <laughs> yeah, show it. All right, it's gorgeous. Um, oh my god. It's concluded. Um, I'm for hot. All right. So that's three to one. All right. I have to catch the bus back to my stupid town. So I'm leaving. All right. Oh, stupid okay. town. Lovely Bye, catching <laughs> Love Can't, you. Can't from wait to Cubano catch you next gold. week. <laughs> yeah. See you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, everyone. This sounds so mundane. <laughs> <laughs>